The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Thrilled to be here with you on this very rainy day in Los Angeles. I don't know about the weather for everybody else, but I, all I can say is if you're in the Midwest or on the East Coast, get ready because those storms that they're saying are coming towards you, we're experiencing the rain here. And let me just tell you, it's uh, a lot. So be ready for it. Uh, but thrilled to be here with you on this Thursday morning. We're going to be live for the next two hours talking with you about autism from a 360 degree perspective so that no matter where you are, who you are in the autism community, hopefully we're going to have something for you uh, that will you'll find inspirational, informational. Uh, we really want to help you to get to all the things that you want to. Uh, we, as I said, we're going to be live for the next two hours, and there's lots of different ways that you can connect with us. So Traven's going to show you some of the different ways that you can connect. While he's doing that, I want to remind you that our homepage is still autism hyphen live.com you can see it there on the screen but when you go there it's going to look vastly different because uh, we've changed our website it was in beta for a while i want to hear from you guys hear if you like it and if it's helping you to find access to the information that you need in a better way because that's really what it was designed to do if you really just are having a hard time because sometimes i don't like change you know if you really want to go and and experience the show the old way you can go to old autism hyphen live.com and you can watch it on the old way for at least a while. We're going to leave it there for a while so people can transition because change is hard, right? And it is an entirely different way of looking at it. Now, on the, on the new page, um, you'll see at the top there is a bar, and uh, it includes the little toy icon, and there should be a thing that says live. It should be a flashing red button. Once you click on that, it will open up this screen, and you will be able to watch us live from that page. The chat button now is at the bottom of the page, and it's not taking up half the page. You know what I mean? So it's a little, it's an open window. You'll click on it, and it opens up, and you can type away and write into us, and then I'll be able to see what you guys say. I love it because it gives me a date and a timestamp, which just makes my life very happy. Um, and so we were, we were doing that yesterday. It was great. So feel free to write in. But there's lots of other different ways that you can write into us too. If you're watching us on Facebook, if you're watching us on YouTube, on Periscope, any of the different places that we're live, uh, including Twitter, you can write into us there. So uh, all those different ways, and I love that it's free. All those ways, uh, you we podcast the entire show to iTunes. You can watch it there. 
uh, not live, but later on today you can watch it there. And uh, you can choose whether you want to watch it with just sound or with picture and sound. So you can take us with you in the car. Uh, I know some of you have written it and said that you like to do that. So thank you for figuring that out. Uh, there are other people who are like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that we could watch you in the car. It's a great thing. Uh, okay, we it's Thursday, you know, and Thursdays we do things a little bit differently. Um, before we get started with that, I'd like to always remind you on Thursdays that we so enjoy bringing you experts in the field of autism and inspirational stories. I just want to be 100% clear that you don't confuse me as one of the experts. I'm not. My role in this is, first and foremost, I'm an autism mom. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. He is now brilliant and 15, and uh, nothing's stopping him. He is an amazing young man because we got the help and support that we needed that was right for him at the right time, and we took advantage of it. And it was a great intervention. It just so happens that that was done by card, and it's why I sing their praises, because they gave me back my kids. There's just no two ways about that, right? Um, but I'm not an expert in autism. I am not an expert even in my kid. He will be the first person to tell you that. I'm a former teacher. So I love education and I love learning and I love learning about autism. But most especially now, I love to be able to pay it forward and help somebody else to get to the things that are right for them. I'm, I'm all about supporting the autism community in its entirety. And I count that as parents, teachers, practitioners, grandparents, aunts, uncles, but most especially, of course, individuals who are on the autism spectrum. I believe that we are all a part of the autism community. We're all searching for resources and inspiration, hope, and results, right? Um, and, the res and what we want result-wise is different for everybody. This is not one size fits all. So um, please understand that that much I know. Not an expert in autism, but that much I know. And I just want to help you to get to the resources that you need, that are right for you, whatever they are. So you know, I say, give me a hand. We hold on together. Si se puede, right? Uh, so don't confuse me for an expert, though. That I am not. Although, how exciting is this that I am leaving today to go to San Francisco and I am going to the ABAI conference. It is the International Conference for Autism done by ABA. This is the group of professionals that uh, do ABA. And you know, ABA is a huge field and a lot of it is, has nothing to do with autism, right? But this is a conference where just ABA people who are dealing with autism get together and it's their international. People from all over the world are coming and I get to be one of the guest speakers this weekend. So not an expert, but I get to be a guest speaker at this international conference. I am so excited that I am, the talk that I'm giving is the parent perspective, how to get a parent to buy in to ABA services. I, you know, this is a subject that I am very passionate about, trying to help ABA professionals understand from the parent perspective what's getting in our way to prevent us um, from doing a great quality ABA program so that we can get that stuff out of the way. And once we get that out of the way, our kids fly, right? But we need some support. There are things that we need. There's ways that those professionals can help us to get to the point where we go, I get it. I want to be a part of this. And that's what I'm really passionate about. That's what I'm speaking on. I, I can't hardly believe that. I have to be honest with you. Uh, it's very humbling to me. 
But, um, and I'll let you know all about that. I might even do some live feeds over the weekend just to let you know. I'm taking the equipment with me. Who knows? I might get some good interviews. Anyway, uh, so that's, but, but don't fuse me with an expert. Confuse me with somebody who cares very deeply and passionately about this, right? Uh, having said all of that, uh, we like to start every Thursday with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym, and we try to figure out what in the hey, nani nani are the experts talking about? We give you the actual definition then, which we often, well, I make fun of it usually because it's something that should be made fun of. And then we give you the working definition, a way that you can kind of practically begin to understand. Often that makes the BCBAs break out into highs, um, and we don't mean to do that, but uh, it don't feel bad if you don't get it the first time. Uh, we go back over some of these terms because sometimes it's, it's the third time that we do it that you go, okay, wait a second, I think I got that, right? And that's the way you acquire the jargon, right? So today we're visiting an oldie but a goodie. It's the first autism jargon term that I think I learned besides autism, right? And that is antecedents. This is one of the, like it's one of those words you're going to hear right in the beginning when you're starting ABA and it's one of the first things that puts us off, right? When people start talking about, well, what's the antecedent? I don't know about you, but I wanted to say, could we could we just talk in plain English? Like I don't know <laughs> You know, I, I've been a college professor and been on college campuses with very intelligent people talking about very intelligent, high-level things. I don't recall anybody ever using the word antecedent in a sentence before I was in the field of autism. Uh, you know, but it is a very specific thing, and it has a big impact. So let's take a look at what the actual definition of an antecedent is. Uh, there it is. Anything that occurs or is present immediately before the behavior of interest. Oh, well, that, that seems clear, right? I don't know about you, but taken out of context, I'm like, what? Anything that occurs or is present immediately before the behavior of interest. Let's take a look at what our working definition is and see if we can't piece this together. The working definition is what happened before. And let me tell you, that in the field of ABA, as your child or your student, you start to think of this through a, an ABA perspective, this is your first question. Something happens, ask yourself immediately, wait a second, what happened beforehand? Because behaviors don't happen in a vacuum. We uh, talk a lot on the show about the three-term contingency, and what it means is that when a behavior happens, it's the ABCs of behavior, right? So the A is the antecedent. Something happens, and then a behavior happens, that's the B, and then there's a consequence. This is happening right now in your life and in my life. In all things that are living, this ABC happens over and over and over again all day. Uh, the example that I like to give is, let's take a behavior that we all do at some day. Uh, at some point on every given day, we get up and turn a light on. And why do you do that? And the antecedent is different in a lot of different cases, but what happens right before you turn a light on? Is it that you've come into the room and you can't see in the room, so you turn on the light? Is it that you were sitting in the room and the light changed and your eyes were having to squint and you go, oh, I gotta get up and go turn on the light? Something happened that prompted you to get up and turn the lights on. It's a behavior you do all the time. 
And so the behavior is that you turn on the light. And what's the consequence? There's light in the room and whatever was happening before is changed. It just is. And that's reinforcing to us. It's good when you can see, right? If it's gotten dark and you want to be able to see and you flick on the lights, the reward is that the lights came on. And that is enough to continue to reward us to do it again and again and again. So for instance, your child goes to school today and the note comes home saying, you know, Johnny kicked so-and-so. And a lot of times you get that and there's a lot of emotion that comes into that. And instead, you want to train yourself to ask, well, what happened beforehand? And a lot of times people will get very, they're like, well, it doesn't matter what happened beforehand. He kicked him. Why aren't you outraged about that? Well, you're not going to be able to fix him kicking him until we know what happened beforehand and what happened afterwards. So the first question you're going to ask is what happened before? That's the antecedent. And then you ask, and what the consequence was. So the teacher, after they get over that, well, he kicked him. It doesn't matter what happened before. I know, but if we're going to fix it, we got to know what the antecedent is. And they say, well, you know, Johnny called him a name and he kicked him. Well, that's a very different thing than he just walked by and kicked him, right? Because we can work with that, uh, knowing that, okay, he felt injured and we need to deal with self-control when somebody insults you, right? We're not like having him be off the hook, but it's a different thing. Uh, he was doing it to get him to stop insulting him. That's a different thing than something else. So we, know, we need to know what happened before. And then you want to say to the teacher, and so what happened as a result of him kicking him? Was he taken out of the classroom? Did he miss recess? What did we do as a consequence? Because the power in all this is that when we know what the antecedent is, sometimes we can prevent the antecedent from happening. And we call that an antecedent modification or antecedent strat strategies, right? Um, and so when you're at an IEP meeting and when you're talking to ABA professionals and they're like, okay, what's, what's happening? They're always looking for the function of the behavior. And the function is they figure that out through the antecedent, the behavior, and the consequence. Oh, the function of this behavior is he wanted that child to stop insulting him. Um, so we, we would, you know, although I, I'm going to back up for a second, I, I'm not somebody who can diagnose that because they would look into it further. It might be that he wanted attention drawn to it so that the teacher would say, uh, stop insulting him, right? I don't quite know. There would be more investigation. I'm not somebody who does that investigation, but a trained ABA professional would. We're going to find out what the function is, and then we're going to deal with it. But part of how we would deal with that is, you know, teaching. You always want to teach something, um, right? So we teach the child that when somebody insults you, it is not appropriate to kick them back, right? There are other things that you can do when somebody insults you and how to deal with the feeling of when somebody has insulted you. And you want to kick them, but you can't because those are the rules of society. So we would teach the child self-regulation, having the ability to not act on impulses, a lot of lessons here, right? We would teach them how to advocate for themselves when somebody is insulting them, uh, all these different things. But we would also work with the other child and say, stop insulting him, right? And then maybe the kicking fully goes away, but we would also put in a consequence strategy um, that when he kicks, he does not get access to things that he wants. I know, everybody wants to punish, right? Um, but the truth of the matter is, is the jury is in on punishment, and punishment strategies usually don't really maintain the behavior that we want. That having access 
to things that we do want will prevent us from doing the behavior. That is true. Um, so just not having access to the things that we want um, is a, if we're doing everything right, hopefully that will work if we've got the right function of the behavior. But antecedent is what happened before. Anytime somebody is telling you the behavior of somebody and you don't, the behavior is not something that you want to foster, you need to ask the question, what happened before? It's the antecedent. That's why they talk about it. Okay, uh, so that's our jargon for the day. Moving on, we always have a question of the day. And we love it when you guys write in to our Facebook page and answer the question. Uh, since these are the first two shows of the year back this week, we want to know what are your New Year's resolutions? I love when we get a reset, right? There it is, the question of the day. I, I, you know, as a former teacher, I used to love Mondays because Mondays were an opportunity to start over again. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to start over again, but it's a, it's a way to have fresh eyes on something, to look at something in a new way. So what are your New Year's resolutions? And, and I really advocate having one overreaching one um, and, you know, having it be something that's deep and meaningful to you and having a measurable result. And I, I know I'm, I'm really going back and forth between two because they're so intertwined. But this year, I want to focus on health. And I want to focus on getting to the joy, getting to the joy because we only get this once. I used to have a sign that was on my computer um, that would that said, Jem will only be this age once. And it sort of fit for, you know, because it fit when he was four, it fit when he was five. He will only be this age once. And it's very easy for me to just get caught up in the, you know, what do I have to get done today, right? And uh, a friend just the other day posted on Facebook a picture of his son, and his son is nine, and he said, oh my gosh, I just feel like he was just born, and now he's nine. Where did the time go? And I wrote back and said, well, take a lot of pictures right now and don't blink, because that moment of boyhood goes by so fast. And isn't it funny that when we look back on things, I can think of the most trying things that we went through when we were in heavy, intensive, early behavioral intervention and it was hard. And now with time and perspective and knowing how things turned out, those are some of my happiest memories. And I so wish that I had put more focus on joy and less on worrying all those years. And I'm trying to do it now. It's hard. Um, but I, but part of that is being healthy enough to do that. So I'm focusing on health and joy. I know I said one thing and it's two things because I do think they're intertwined. But what are you guys focusing on this year? What do you want to achieve? What do you want to do? Last year, I, part of what I wanted to do was give voice to the creative side of me. And so I did my one woman show, the autism monologues. We're doing more of those this year coming up. And, and I remember when I was talking to my husband about it, I said, oh, you know, this is a lot of work. I don't know if I'm up for it. I don't know if I'm healthy enough for it. I don't know if I have the bandwidth for it. And, but a friend had said, you better do it now. You better do it now because these things tend to, time slips away, right? And my husband said, do you want to do it? And I said, mm, no, I don't really want to do it. I want to be able to say that I did it. And he said, well, then you better do it, right? And I'm so grateful that I did. If there's something that's been kicking your keister that you're like, oh, I really should do that, 
schedule it in and and I know you won't regret it I, I will never regret that I took the time um, and it was time you know um, no, like my favorite memory of all of last year because you know I always say I think of myself as a funny person I used to be a stand-up comedian and my son always laughs at everything my husband says nothing that I say and that bums me out and at one point I said to him why don't you think that I'm funny he said well you're just not <laughs> mom you are not funny and I said, ah, I think I'm one of the funniest people. I have a plaque in the state, uh, shape of the state of Iowa that says I was the funniest person in the state of Iowa on one year. I won a contest. And he was like, oh, why do you need to lie about these things? And I pulled it out of storage and said, here it is, pal. I'm not kidding. This is serious business. And, but he's like, yeah, I don't understand how. You're just not funny. And after the first performance that he came to see, I got to listen to him talking to other people. And he was like, isn't she funny? Isn't she hysterical? And oh my gosh. I mean, that's going to be one of my favorite memories in life. Chase it, folks. Whatever you want, go get it. it and, and don't be afraid because it, it, you know, I was afraid it will take time away from him. And it did, but it made our relationship grow. And I think it set him up because now he wants to do his creative thing. So follow your dreams, right? Okay. Make a New Year's resolution. That's what it's all about. All right, that's our uh, question of the day. Moving on to our topic of the week uh, that is our overreaching thing that we'll talk a little bit more about, but you probably could already guess it. Here is our topic of the week. A fresh start. Everything's starting today. You know, I don't care that we're halfway through the first month. Today's a new day. Anything that you don't like, uh, let's look at what would we need to do to change that and start anew. Are you getting enough hours for your for the person in your life that is on the autism spectrum of ABA? If you're not, let's change it. Are you at the point where you're very close to being done with ABA and are, are you ready for that? Because that's a fresh start. Let's get you excited about that. Have you or someone you know not been diagnosed and you're thinking, we should do the diagnosis. Today's the day. Let's start it. If not today, when, right? So um, brand new start. We can let the past be the past. Today's a new day. Uh, we'll be talking about that later on today. We've got a lot of stuff going on today. So the, some of the guests that we're having here on the show today, Crystal Fontaine is going to be joining us in just a minute. She's an autism expert. And we've got a bunch of questions for her. Special education uh, attorney, Bonnie Yates, will be joining us. We're going to talk specifically about the strike here in Los Angeles and how parents can be aware of their rights. And I'll talk a little bit about some things that they can be doing to help their child if the child's at home. Then we have Michelle Wolf a little bit later on in the next hour. She's the executive director of the Jewish Los Angeles Special Needs Trust. We're going to be talking about how we prepare mentally and financially for the time when we're not working and when we're not here. I know it's not the topic that anybody wants to talk about, but I promise we'll make it reinforcing for you and give it to you in small bites so that nobody will be paralyzed because it can be paralyzing, right? Plus, we're going to try to squeeze in a mindfulness moment and maybe we'll even, we're, well, we're going to get to autism in the classroom because we're going to talk about what the folks in the strike can do and that's stuff that anybody can be doing. And guess what? It's free. We love that. Okay, we're running late here, so we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, Crystal Fontaine, autism expert, is going to be answering questions that you guys have sent in. Don't go anywhere. Stick with us. Hey, 
I'm Candace Cameron Bray. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're watching Autism Live. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. Justin started tantruming a lot too. These would be major tantrums that were just completely debilitating to the family. Having to take him out of the house, put him in the car, drive around, just to calm him down. Yeah, I remember a breaking point and just thinking, you know what, we got to do something. This is not right. Once we were on the track to getting a diagnosis for autism, we started sharing that with our close friends and family. It just so happens that somebody from our older daughter's private school called us out of the blue. She introduced herself and she says, I know that recovery is possible. Those words so early in our journey were a guiding force for us. As we got more educated in knowing what is effective therapies for kids with autism, we realized 
Quality ABA is vital to that progress. That's where we decided that CARD was the right provider for us and for our son. Justin responded very well to therapy. The behaviors were tracked, and we saw that what was being instituted was working. Justin, what are you doing? You are coloring, good for you. There was real progress, and it was progress that was tangible. I just remember when he, he made a sentence, he said a sentence, we were just happy about it, going, no way, I can't believe you just did that. What's the date? The 18th. 18th of what month? December. Oh, what year is it? 2007. Oh, okay, so how old are you today then? The therapies that CARD did for Justin didn't just impact his daily living skills, but it was a positive impact on our entire family. I'm Justin. I am in fourth grade. I like playing video games sometimes. My dream to build a teleporter machine. Like sometimes if like we're on an airplane and it's like really long, you guys just say, oh, hurry up with that teleporter machine. We're waiting on you. <laughs> and I just started Friday Night Lights. This is our third game of the season, and um, it's pretty fun. You have to be fast. We attribute so much of Justin's recovery to CARD. Their goal was the same as our goal. We wanted Justin recovered. June 12, 2008 is a day that I celebrate every year because that is the day that Justin was deemed recovered from autism. And Dr. Doreen Grampiche met with us, looked at him and just said, he's brilliant. You need to keep his mind stimulated because he's very smart and he has no residual traits of autism. Welcome back to Autism Live. We have joining us on the phone right now, Crystal Fontaine. This is one of my favorite segments. This is when we welcome an autism expert um, to be with us and answer some of your questions. So Crystal, this is your first time on the show and we've had a little bit of technical difficulty, but we've got you on the phone now. Welcome. Hi, good morning. We're thrilled to have you here. Please tell our audience what your role is at CARD and, and what you do. Thank you. I'm very and happy to be here. Um, I am a regional manager for the whole state of Washington. So I currently oversee about six centers and a few expansion sites out here. And you do a wonderful job, and I know your families up there just so appreciate you, as do I. Thank you so much for all the great work that you do. So uh, I'm going to launch right in here to some questions. My daughter, seven, with ASD, has recently started repeating her responses by whispering them under her breath. So if I ask her, what, uh, what do you want, juice or milk, she will respond, I want juice, but then she will whisper, want juice. Is this echolalia and should I ignore it or address it? Okay, so based off of what you're describing, it does sound like it is echolalia. And while it's, it's always best to address some of these extraneous behaviors, it's something that I think that can be easily shaped. And you can do this 
by having her describe how she feels about getting the juice or even by describing what the juice tastes like. So my thoughts are, um, for example, when she responds with, I want juice, and then while you're pouring it, to break up that pattern in that language, you can say something like, I love juice, or I'm so thirsty, or you can even say something like, my favorite juice is apple juice, and that'll break up that echolalia that you're describing. Wonderful. And this, yeah, Wonderful. and this will help with more... Um, this will help model more functional language and communication. And I think a key here is to generalize it into other activities in her daily routine. And you can do this by joining her in play. And say, for example, she's playing with dolls or cars. You can say things like, the doll's sleepy, it's time for bed, or the car's moving really fast. And the biggest, biggest thing here is just to make sure that you're reinforcing the variety of language because this will help increase that in the future. Okay, so we're trying to get in between, because she says, I want juice, and then she repeats the want juice. We're trying to just sort of interrupt that there by, by feeding words at, from ourselves saying, I love juice, or my favorite juice is apple juice, what is yours? So we're just trying to interrupt that pattern? Absolutely, because it sounds like she's, she's saying, I want juice, and then immediately going to echo that. So it sounds like she has really good imitation, and she's imitating things that she's hearing. So if we're just being proactive in throwing in some of those variety of phrases, yeah. then she's going to be imitating our language as well. Love it. Absolutely love it. I'm going to move on to the next question. My 14-year-old son had years of ABA therapy and is doing really well. The only problem is mornings. He moves so slow, goes back to bed, falls asleep in the shower, and makes us all late. I have tried so many ways to motivate him to get up and get moving, but nothing works, and he will say, stop trying to ABA me. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a familiar thing. I, I don't know how much of this is just him being a teen, but it's making us all nuts, and what do you suggest? I can't wait to hear this because we have some of these same problems. primary care physician because we just want to make sure that we rule out um, any type of possible medical component that could be contributing to his struggles with waking up in the morning. We just want to make sure that, that your son is healthy. And if all works out, I'm thinking that you definitely have got a true teenager on your hands. Um, <laughs> between the ages of like 14 and 17, teenagers require like an average of 10 hours of sleep. And it sounds crazy, and it sounds like a lot of sleep, but their body's still developing in their brain, and so they do require more. And I think the best thing to look at is looking at the sleep routine in general, looking at what time your son's going to bed, and making sure that it's, a, it's enough time so that he does get all the sleep that he needs. And when you start looking at that, I always recommend my families to get something like a sleep log. And I just jot down, I have the families jot down notes about what time they go to bed. Sometimes there's certain foods 
that you eat before bedtime that will keep you up and restless during the night or drinking before bed, having too much water, having your tummy full and, and digesting food. And so there's like so much to that. So I would start off with getting a log so that you can start looking at the patterns um, with his struggles in getting up in the morning. I love that, you know, because I, I wouldn't have occurred to me to make sure that there isn't some medical thing that's happening. Um, so love that advice. And uh, I didn't know that teenagers needed 10 hours of sleep. I think the most my son ever gets is eight, and he's always dragging. I'm going to tell him. I'm going to cut that little part out that you just said and play that for him and say it's got to be 10 hours. Expect, <laughs> expect uh, to not be on his Christmas card list because <laughs> he wants to stay up late. So great advice, Crystal. Great, great advice. So moving on to the third question, our son was just diagnosed with ASD. He is almost three, and we are being told to have him do 20 hours of therapy a week. That sounds like a lot for a three-year-old. Wouldn't 10 hours be enough? He's a kid. We don't want him to feel like he has a job. Absolutely. I mean, I completely hear where this parent is coming from and can understand how 20 hours does sound like a lot of therapy. It's scary and it's stressful. And I know that, you know, you would be worried about this being too much for him. But to be com totally and completely honest, when I hear three years old, I hear opportunity. And, and I hear that I, I see that we have the opportunity to maximize this time in his life to teach him so much. And with that said, I, I would definitely encourage this parent to reach out to their VCBA to even possibly discuss ramping up hours and starting off with something a little slower and then getting to those 20 hours just to ensure that there's a very smooth transition because he is three years old. And I would also really suggest getting involved in your son's ABA by sitting in sessions. I really think it would make this parent feel more comfortable um, because I think parents will be pleasantly surprised to see that sessions with a three-year-old are actually a lot of fun. There's so much play involved. Their clients don't sometimes, they sometimes don't realize that they're actually learning so much. And of course, I mean, we default to research, right? So there's a ton of research out there that talks about that early intensive treatment. And so partnering with your supervisor to, to look at that and just take baby steps and take it slow and just really understand it's really going to be a, like a key component component of, of the success of your son's treatment. And you are so sweet and so politically correct um, <laughs> not to throw somebody else under the bus, but people who watch the show know that I will. I have grave concerns about this because if you have a three-year-old who's on the autism spectrum and your supervisor is telling you that you need 20 hours a week, the first thing that I would do is go back and ask, why did you only prescribe 20? Show right. me the study and show me the reason why clinically you think that 20 hours is actually enough. I know the first time that somebody talked to me when my son was not yet three and they were saying, 40 hours a week, 40 hours a week. And I was like, you're out of your mind. That's a full-time <laughs> job. He isn't even three. Have you, I mean, like seriously, what's your problem? And then they showed me the studies and, uh, and said to me, you find in there where it says 20 is enough. And I got to tell you, I haven't seen that study um, that three hours is a, a tw that 20 hours is enough for a three-year-old. Um, so, 
you know, and it may be that your clinician is super fabulous and I don't know what I'm talking about. And they say, oh, no, 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 here are the things that your child has. And, and you know, that's why I'm advocating for something outside of what the research says. But I, if I were that parent, I'd be fighting for 40. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Um, and I know, but I know that Crystal, you're a professional and you hate to throw another professional under the bus, but I want parents to know that, that, uh, there are professionals that are out there who have gotten used to what insurance will fund because right. insurance doesn't want to pay for 40 hours. They really don't. There are exceptions. There are insurance companies who are like, yes, we do want to pay for 40 hours because we know it saves us a lot of money in the long run because your child will do better, they'll graduate earlier, and they won't need support services later on. But there's a lot of insurance that doesn't understand that yet. And so they have said to the providers, we're only going to give you 20, so don't prescribe more than 20. Well, guess what? Insurance companies don't get to tell professionals what to prescribe. But Absolutely. not everybody gets that. But if you have a professional who has gotten used to getting turned down for 40, and is now prescribing 20, I would seriously look at and see if you are with the right people because you need somebody who's going to show you what's effective and let you fight with the insurance company, not just give up before you, and there's going to be a fight. Uh, don't, don't kid yourself. Fighting for 40 hours is very, like Crystal, you have a lot of parents that end up having to fight for the 40 hours, don't you? Absolutely. I have so many parents that fight for the 40. And to be honest, I've even recommended 50 or 60 hours. Because you go, girl. That's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fabulous. That's, those are the kinds of professionals we need to be with as parents, the ones who look at our kids as individuals and say, what does this kiddo need and what does research show works with what this kid needs? But I'm just going to tell you, the study that shows that 20 hours for a 3-year-old I haven't seen it. If somebody can find it, let me know. But I have not seen that. Um, but and and I know that there's an emotional component to this. And I hear you saying you you want them to have a good time. As a parent who's been there and done that 40 hours a week, my kid had a ball. The therapist played with him half the time. He didn't know he was learning, but he learned, and it was worth it. I feel like I just got out of soapbox crystals. See, I got all hepped up. Um, <laughs> but. But, you know, but thank you for reminding us that it should be fun. And, and thank you for helping this parent to realize that 10 is completely inappropriate. Um, I would say start at the 20 and ramp up to 30 and then fight like your life depends what you get to 40. But ask me how I really feel. <laughs> right? um, but Crystal, this has been wonderful. For families that are in the the Washington area, how would they get a hold of you? Yeah, so I um, the best I travel so much, so the best way to get a hold of me is by my email. My email is super easy. It's k dot fountain. It's fountain with the e at the end at centerforautism.com. You email me, I will get back to you that same day, if not the very next day. And I really do look forward to hearing from parents if they want to reach out. Um, they can reach out to me really about anything. And you're fabulous. Thank you so much for all the work that you do for our families up there. Please give everybody uh, my love because my son and I got to be up there last uh, August. We were up there and got to meet a bunch of the family. So give them all of our love, and we'll try to get back and see you guys again soon. Sounds great. Thank you for having me today. Thanks, Crystal. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Uh, so that was Crystal Fontaine, one of the regional managers for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Her area is w Washington, the state. Um, and you heard what a fabulous expert she is. Um, okay, so we're going to take a break. I've lost all track of what time it is. Um, but, and yes, oh, we're going to take a break, a quick break, and we're going to get Bonnie Yates on the phone. It is time to talk with Bonnie, and we're going to be talking specifically about what parents' rights are during a strike. We have all of these special needs kids here in Los Angeles, and the teachers have, have gone out on strike. We support the reason why they went out on strike. My goodness, it's to get smaller class size and get a, a, a nurse full-time in each and every school. We certainly want to support that, especially for our kids on the autism spectrum. But let's find out what our rights are. Let's get Bonnie on the phone. Stick with us. Parent to parent, you might be asking yourself, how on earth can I afford ABA therapy for my child? Well, the short answer is you can't. No one can. It's really expensive and it's overwhelming to most families. But the story doesn't end there, fortunately. The first thing that I want you to think about is tapping insurance resources. So many insurance companies are paying for ABA therapy right now. So that's your first best bet. Make sure and see if your insurance company is providing benefits for ABA therapy and check back often. Now, if you see that you don't have insurance right now for ABA, don't panic. There are still other resources. The next place to go is to your local support groups and ask them what local resources there are. That's a great place to ask for information because often states and even counties have support for ABA. And then beyond that, you might consider applying for grants. There are many fabulous grants out there to help you to get support for your ABA therapy. But most important, it's, it's absolutely essential that you get ABA services for your child. We know that that's essential for all of our children and that you won't be able to do it on your own. So seek out those services and support groups that will help you to fund your ABA journey. It's really important to remember that all behaviors happen for a reason. You say howdy, we say hi. Let's get right, let's get right, let's get, let's get, let's get right. Hey, welcome back to Autism Live. We heard you. Everybody wants macaroni and cheese. Yeah, but we're going to make it allergy free. But here's what's the crazy part of this macaroni and cheese it's actually healthy. We're and it tastes good. Yeah, it tastes really good. <laughs> That's the most important part. <laughs> so we're going to start. We got our water boiling. Um, there's so many variations on the pasta. Um, we're using today a corn pasta. We can verify with the manufacturer that we have a GMO-free product. So let's go ahead and put that in there. Ooh, and if you don't mind, stir that sure. up for me, my friend. Yeah, it's sticking a little bit to the bottom. Yeah. Is that okay? We maybe add a little more high heat oil okay. and spread that around again. One thing you got to know about gluten-free pasta, if you overcook this, it becomes mush. Let's move this guy over to the Stop other it. burner so you can see what I'm doing. And now we're going to start with the old macaroni and cheese sauce. What's great is there's a lot of choices for, um, you know, different soups. And the way that I look at soups, and again, please follow the recipe on uh, your screen right now. I don't like to measure very often. Uh, but what I like to use is a creamy 
um, butternut squash soup. So this soup is great because it adds a lot of flavor um, to the dish, but also gives people another serving of vegetables. And with kids, we don't want to over-season. Maybe with the adults, we can uh, season some for the kids first, pull it out, serve them, and then add a little more you know, garlic powder or onion powder or other types of things into your dish. So the next most important thing on this recipe is we're gonna add in a thickener and the faux cheese. Now some people like their sauce really thick, so you just add in more cornstarch or more arrowroot, so that's not a big deal. How's that doing? You think, I think it's ready? I think it's done. Okay, so why don't we switch? I'll okay. take that, you do that. Okay. And um, I'm going to strain this bad boy here. Here, let me turn that off. Okay. Or we're gonna cause trouble again. <laughs> Trouble in Lisa's kitchen. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's another chef. Don't, yeah, right? <laughs> so I'm gonna go ahead and get this all strained. It's a good consistency. So I'm gonna check to make sure our pasta is cooked. So really you just wanna make sure, just like any pasta, it's a little bit squeezy, a little bit. Dude, good job. Hey. We're good. It looks yummy. So even though the cheese is not totally melted, it's okay, don't panic. What's important is that you're gonna love this recipe once you eat it. Um, what I enjoy most about this recipe is that it's, it smells good, but this That's stuff perfect. is amazing. So if you don't mind, I'm going to serve you some up and you can yeah. maybe blow a little bit on it so you don't burn your mouth. Sorry, I'm once a mom, always a mom. I was like, mom. just like we talked <laughs> I know, right? Oh, but I can't wait, wait. I'm excited. <laughs> So I'm gonna give a shot of this too, but. Oh my gosh, that is so good. This is the ultimate comfort food. So oh, it's so uh, good. Isn't it good. And I'm not just saying that, it is really <laughs> good. Mm. It literally tastes like something our kids would really like. And that sweetness is really, really, really good. So the bonus for us is that when we're serving this to our kids, they're actually getting a full serving of vegetables in this. So instead of just eating a bunch of carbs and worthless calories, you're actually getting some good stuff in this. And um, we'll be back next time. I hope you join us again here on Autism Live. We're really loving the feedback. And if you have additional feedback, here's how you get it to us. You can send it to us via email at autismlive at gmail.com. On Facebook, Facebook, mm -hmm. facebook.com slash autismlive. And also there's thousands of recipes waiting for you to discover them with pictures and different things on the TACA website. So you can hit TACA on the web, talkanow.org, and we'll be back. Hopefully we'll get to do this again. I had so much Maybe fun. Maybe we'll have a little wine, but you gotta join <laughs> us next time. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Bye guys, we're gonna keep eating. You say howdy, we say hi. Let's get loud, let's get wild. Let's get, let's get, let's get Welcome back to Autism Live. So thrilled that you guys are with us. We've got Bonnie Yates, special education attorney, joining us. Uh, via Skype and Bonnie welcome to the Autism Live 2019 we're so thrilled to have you back yeah it's a yeah exactly rainy autism 2019 <laughs> yes absolutely but thrilled to have you Bonnie is joining us from Hirji and Chow an, an amazing law firm here in, in Southern California Bonnie tell us a little bit about Hirji and Chow and how families can reach out to you Kirjin Chow is a disability and special education-based law firm in Culver City. You can Google us and look at our website, or you can call us at 310-391-0330.
And I love the website, which is lawyer for the number four children.com. It's a great resource. It's fabulous. Uh, we really love Kirji and Challen. We're thrilled that they allow you to, the time to be able to do this with us. And thank you for the time to be able to do this with us because Bonnie answers questions that we have that are of a legal nature. There's always a disclaimer that you give, Bonnie. Tell us what the disclaimer is. Uh, you are so right. Well, we're giving advice per California law and federal law. So if you live in another state or you have a specific legal question, we would refer you to COPA, C-O-P-A-A dot net. You can usually find a list of attorneys there that are recognized as doing special education in your state. We've got lawyers now in all the 50 states, which is a good thing. It's amazing. So, okay, so Shannon, yeah. can I start out by doing a little bit of shameless um, adulation of Jenny Chow? Absolutely. So Jenny is, is one of the two partners at Kirji and Chow, and in November or December, she did a hearing against Inland Regional Center on behalf of a 54-year-old man who'd been trying to get autism eligibility since he was in his 20s. So this is his third or fourth cycle through the system, and Jenny, uh, who had a fairly new baby at the time, tried the case and won. And I'm really excited about it because it has an exhaustive discussion about how, how autism manifests in an older person and how it's not going to look the same as in a child and that this client clearly had both autism and intellectual disability, and the expert witness for the, for the regional center who runs all their psychological assessments there was strongly criticized for a number of things he did and didn't do. One of the things he did do was when he, when he administered the, I believe it was the ADOS, not the ADIR, he had the stepbrother of the client in the room with him and used him to prompt answers. He also used some other testing that was really not valid for the purpose he used it for and it inflated all of his scores and directions that worked against the client. I believe I sent the decision to you, Shannon. I think it is such a great decision. I'm so proud of Jenny and I think even if you don't know somebody that it'll help, maybe you'll meet somebody that'll help and one of the problems this client had, Regional Center used against him the fact that he was old, so he didn't have, they claimed he didn't have a diagnosis that originated before the age of 18, and they claimed that since most of his school records had been destroyed, we didn't have adequate proof that he was in special education, and then they claimed that he graduated with a high school diploma, and they claimed that he was fine, and in fact his family's been carrying his case for him and running interference at his job for him for years. And so uh, justice was done. And what a landmark case. I mean, because clearly that's going to have a huge impact, not just in California, but that probably is going to reach further than that because when families are looking for a way to say, you know, we want services for people who are older who didn't get the opportunity to get the services that we have available now, uh, and they shouldn't be shortchanged because of that, this gives people a chance to point to and say a decision has been made in this favor. Am I right, or am I reaching uh, too far? Well, um, okay, this was a 25-year fight on behalf of this family, 25 years, and the, where the judge started was she took the DSM-5, and she went through it, and for every aspect of the DSM-5, 
presentation, she folded it. So that's a nice way to start, is a judge's um, interpretation of what in the DSM-5 is important when looking at the characteristics of an older person with autism. Pegeen Cronin, uh, formerly of UCLA, uh, was our expert witness and did the assessment of him. She did a really nice job of doing all the collateral source information. Um, it was a happy day in the office. So I uh, wanted to mention that. I know we've got to talk you. about the teacher strike and a few other things. But, but thank you for telling that. I, but no, thank you for telling us, Bonnie, because I think a lot of times we get bogged down in the you know, in the day-to-day, -day, the grind of, you know, understanding that everything isn't the way we want it to be and maybe it never will be. And when we hear things like this, we go, okay, even while we're sleeping or doing something else, there are good people fighting the good fight and making changes, small and large, that add up to things being better. So it's so inspirational. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, Jenny did the heavy lifting, so... Anyway, well, please congratulate I, her on our behalf. I will, and I'll just say that I've had my eye on Inland Regional Center for a long time. I think because they've had historically um, a poor population, many of whom are not English-speaking, I think that they get away with murder. After the shooting, which we all acknowledge was tragic and happened very close to the Regional Center, they used that as an excuse to shut down for six months. Wow. They just conducted no business, and I don't think that that was really fair. So anyway, we're, we're watching you in Run Regional Center. There you go. Um, okay, let's talk about the teacher strike Yeah. quickly. Yeah. Because I'm not an expert in these matters. I'm told that what Buettner is trying to do, Buettner's the superintendent, is he's trying to break the teachers' union, and that he re was recruited by Eli Broad, who builds charter schools that are not unionized in California, to see whether he could you know, push back against LUSD. I don't know if that's correct or not. That was told to me by a teacher in an IEP who was kind of a union leader. And he said that's what that's what Buettner wants to do, is he wants to break the union. In terms of our position as an office with respect to our clients that are LAUSD students, well, first of all, we were informed that all mediations were being canceled. So think about that, okay? We, we as an office, decided to take the position that we support teachers, we support the strike. Uh, we felt that people should stay home if they possibly could, not that we're judging them, but that if they have to go to school because, you know, people don't always have the freedom to stay home with their kids, that, you know, we were not judging them, but that we were getting reports about supervision being poor at school due yeah. to the, you know, the limited amount of staff. And then um, to the extent that there were faith denials because of the failure to be able to attend school, our position is that's the district's fault, not the teacher's fault, and the teacher should have the right to strike. I have a kiddo that was supposed to start his, you know, new uh, program of, of BMOD this week at school. He has a new agency coming in to provide the ABA, and he's at home. So yeah. he's not getting his services, and that's very concerning to us. So we're in between a rock and a hard place, and that's our position on the strike. And, and for parents, what... What I'm concerned about from you is, what are our rights? If So our child has uh, an IEP, they're entitled to these services, but in a lot of cases the surface services aren't there. What right does a parent have? I'd ask for combat. I'd say, my kid missed this much school, it wasn't their fault, it wasn't safe to go to school, you have to offer them combat. I don't 
they're going to do it. I don't know how long the strike is going to last. The longer it lasts, the better case there is for comp ed. If it's only a week, what is comp ed? They have to pay you I'm money sorry. to get it someplace Compensatory else. Compensatory education. And and what does that mean? That it means that that you get makeup time for services you miss. Not always one to one correspondence, but you get some amount of makeup time to recoup the lost time that you didn't get that the district owed you. What a mess. What a total, mm -hmm. total mess because, yeah. you know, USA Today did an article and said that this is over 100,000 students in Los Angeles with special needs that are out because of the strike. And if they all have to have compensatory education when they come back from the strike, that's a lot of money. It is. It's, all, it's, it's, it's a lot of money, and I don't think the teachers' union did this likely, but, you know, let's face it. Who wants to be on the front lines and take a bullet? to not be able to pay their bills and have to spend all kinds of supplementary money of your own to buy materials for your classroom. I mean, teachers need to be respected and supported and compensated appropriately. And California's 49th out of the 50 states in terms of spending on education. You know, it's not that we don't know what to do to make things better. We do know. Well, and so much of what my understanding is that what the teachers are striking for is for smaller class size, which it helps our kids, helps all kids, exactly. and having a, a, a nurse full-time in each location, which to have anything less is inexcusable. I know that the LAUSD says very loudly, we don't have enough money to do all these things that you're asking to do, but in um, it, I've seen physically seen the letter that they sent out to special education or uh, not to special education to substitute teachers saying that during the strike to pay people to cross the picket line they were going to pay $42 an hour $42 yeah. an hour that's not teachers don't make that no um, I think we can do whatever we want and when I said it's not that we don't know what to do I was thinking back to you know probably once 20 years ago I went to Doreen Grant to say I was really upset about some IEP where they offered some eclectic program. And she looked at me, she goes, Bonnie, it's not that we don't know what to do. We have the information. We know what is needed. You know, and, and, and we know that wealthy people in the United States send their children to private schools where the classes are small and they get a good education. And I believe that education is something that should be available to any person who wants to take it seriously. And it shouldn't be determined by economics, and it is in this country. And I try not to be political in this program. And if we don't agree, I still respect you and am interested in your point of view, but I do believe that. Well, I, as a former educator, and I think once an educator, always an educator, I know that kids learn in lots of different ways. And I believe in the public school system and believe that we have to fund it. I also am a fan of charter schools. I, I have to you know, admit that I am a fan of charter schools, but I think no matter where you're educating, if you, my biggest soapbox that I'm always on, if you do not appropriately take care of the educators, that means by giving them continuing education on things like how to deal with behavior issues, if you don't give them the right supports and the right tools, you're not doing your job. And, and what I have seen in the education system from the inside is that they, they talk about, well, we don't have enough money for the teachers, so we have to make the class size bigger, um, and, and they never take away an admin or a secretary position. They only take away from the education side. And, and well, I, I would say it's a college.
university chancellor, or if we didn't hire these people, they would go to the private sector where they could make $650,000 a year. So that's what we have to pay them. Look, you, you know, I'm not going to say any more about this. I want to, I have other stuff I want to talk about. I want to move on, but there's lots of things we can do to make things better. But I think we're, I think I'm in complete agreement and complete respect of your opinion. So Larry Mantle on KPCC, which I think is 89.3, yep. had some interesting interviews yesterday with parents from charter schools and, you know, asked parents of special needs kids to call in. I haven't been able to listen to that yet, but that might be interesting for people to go back. And Absolutely. Listen to the archive I'll take a look at that. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. Um, I wanted to talk about several things. Um, the first is we're involved in a dispute this week where the parent has given complete consent to implementation of the IEP. There is no issue for due process. And the district is insisting on continuing its um, due process filing. So I wanted to talk about whether or not the district can uh, file for due process hearing under circumstances where there is no disputed issue. So in other words, district is basically doing this because they're mad at mom. Because mom, mom wrote back and said, I agree to, you know, to the... Um, Eligibility, well, no, she disagrees about eligibility. I'm sorry. She said, I, I agree to the, you know, the services and the goals and the placement, and you can fully implement the IEP. However, you didn't offer adequate reading support. The OT and speech services you gave are too low, and they're all in group format. I mean, she basically said, I, I agree to the full implementation of the IEP. I don't concede that it's a fake. And the district is filing against her. So I just want to tell people in California, you are allowed to consent with reservation, and that's perfectly legal, and the district shouldn't be able to file for due process against you under those circumstances. So they're basically trying to shut this mom down. It's not going to work, but, you know, they're testing the waters, and they're going to end up paying attorney's fees. So I wanted to mention that. But and yet the mom signed the IEP. She just signed it saying I don't I don't agree to this this and that. So they're making an example of her. Is that what's happening? I think I think so. I think they're trying to push back because she's been pushing forward. She's insisting on seeing a particular program. They don't want to show it to her. Um, they don't like her kid because they think he's assaultive, and they're paying for two to one behavior intervention. There are a lot of reasons that they're unhappy about the case. But the point is, you're allowed to. To consent to implementation without conceding that it's a free appropriate public education and there's nothing to there's nothing to litigate the, the parent is given full consent to implement the IEP so I, I wanted to mention that well I, and I, to be honest I mean you know people are always amazed when I say to them that our school districts our original school district filed due process against us twice I had not signed the IEP, so it's different in that respect. But people always say, don't you mean you filed due process against them? And, and no, I don't mean that. They filed due process against us twice, and I believe that it was to shut me down, shut me up, and make an example. Um, well, I completely agree. I think they had powers of future prediction, and they understood you were going to become an important Southern California you know, internet radio personality advising thousands of parents. It didn't work out well for them. It didn't work out well for them because I talk if about a, it all the time. A, if a parent refuses to allow an assessment um, or if the parent refuses to 
services, everything else is good, that's fine too. If the district feels under that kind of circumstance where you're refusing to allow them to implement too much of the IEP, then they can file for the right to implement more of it, but that is not the situation. Okay, so that's one thing. The other thing is there are these trees all over Culver City, and they're cutting them down because they have a fungus. But what I notice now is where the stumps of the trees are, the fungus is back. So what's the point? Okay, we've known for years and years and years that we're entitled under the Gaster versus Office of Administrative Hearings case that if they want to do a school observation, we're entitled to an equivalent opportunity. And after fighting with districts for years about this and getting to the point where I thought everybody kind of acknowledged that 30 minutes wasn't enough, now Manhattan Beach is starting again to write back and say on every observation request, 30 minutes. So, you know, I'm back to hacking at fungus. Uh, uh. And the remedy for that is you file a motion to compel observation with the hearing office, which you can do whether or not you have a filed case. And um, is that really what they want to do? I mean, I was really just like so annoyed by this. I wrote the attorney a letter. I said, really? 2019? 30-minute <laughs> observation? Yeah. Anyway, after that, they, they, you know, they basically backed down on one case, but now they're doing it on all the others. So watch out for fungus that's underground and can pop out at any moment, you know, that okay. you thought you got rid of. All right. Um, we're, we have like four minutes left, yeah. right? Yes. Okay, I was going to rant for the remaining time about dyslexia. Okay. Because I'm, 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 I have no goal, which is that in 2019, we are going to get through the California dyslexia guidelines, because I think they're really important, mm -hmm. um, and we just keep getting involved in other things. Yeah. So we had had a discussion to the extent that we talked about how dyslexic brains look different, and there are signs that are apparent as soon as preschool, and what those signs were, and things like that. So if you have a person that has unremediated dyslexia in high school or college, we're going to talk about what that looks like. Okay. So apparently if you're that age, which would be 17 or 18, you may present with persistent reading or spelling difficulties. You may have very effortful, slow reading. You won't read for pleasure because it's not a pleasure, it's a chore. You'll have or may have difficulty taking notes in a lecture class. You'll probably use filler in your speech to give you time to process. So you might, you know, say like or you know or ah. Uh, that's all a compensatory strategy. Uh, you'll mispronounce things. You'll have difficulty remembering names, and you'll confuse names. You'll have word retrieval problems. You'll have a smaller spoken word vocabulary than a um, listening vocabulary. You will think you're dumb. You may think that. You don't. I don't mean to say it's absolute, but you may think that you are not intelligent, and teachers may have treated you as if you're not intelligent. You'll have difficulty on multiple choice tests. You'll have to spend way more time studying than your peers, and it'll interfere with your social life. Reading may cause you extreme fatigue because of your inability to decode. You may have problems performing clerical tasks. Uh, you may have organization and time management problems and need extra time to review. You may need more guidance from your teacher to develop higher level concepts than other students. Now, these students can also be gifted because their brains are wired differently. And I haven't looked 
at it, but there's something called the Creative, what is it, the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity, which apparently, uh, as of 216, is a going thing. So um, it's not to say that you don't have other talents that can't be cultivated and exploited. Um, so you may have strong visual spatial awareness, 3D awareness, or strong auditory awareness that are potentially things that you can develop to compensate. You might have a higher technical or mechanical aptitude. And then Shaywitz in 2003, S-H-A-Y-W-I-T-Z, looked at the, the predominance of dyslexic people in law, medicine, writing, and science. Um, but there's a second part to this that's always really worried me, which is that as people get older and they have dyslexia, if it's not remediated properly, they will probably develop social and emotional problems. And, and, and we see that with teenagers. So they're anxious, they're depressed, they're, they have mental health problems two to five, five times more frequently than um, people without dyslexia. Um, they have a pro problems with frustration tolerance and self-worth. They need to be you know, motivated and resilient in order to achieve academically and socially, and they're going to need psychosocial support as well as, you know, dyslexia support. A lot of these people have been told that they're lazy, uh, they have low self-esteem, and there have been studies about how low self-esteem actually frustrates uh, benefiting from intervention. Their parents may have the same profile because this is a genetic um, disability, and so the parents may be limited in their ability to help the child. Um, we know that they need a low-conflict environment and positive uh, teacher models, that that helps a lot. Um, and in terms of exclusionary factors, you don't want to say somebody's dyslexic if there might be other things that explain their presentation. So we look at whether they have a vision or hearing problem, a motor disability, intellectual disability, an emotional disturbance, or cultural factors. Um, so this is a big area. We're going to continue talking about it, but I think this is probably a good place to stop for today just because it's 11.16. There we go. But I think, I think you're right that the, this, uh, this information about dyslexia is really important. I think it's very informative and will help all of us as we move forward. So thank you, Bonnie. Tell us again how we get a hold of Hear Jean Chow. You can call Hear Jean Chow at 310-391-0330. We'd love to hear from you guys. Okay, fabulous. Have a thank good day. And we'll Stay see dry. you next week, okay? Sounds good. Same time, same bat channel. All right. Okay, good. Bye-bye. Uh, that was the fabulous Bonnie Yates, who we always appreciate. We're going to pause now, take a break, and we're going to get Michelle Wolf uh, from, I want to get it right, the Jewish Los Angeles Special Needs Trust. Stick with us. We'll be back after these messages. Hi, this is Lisa Ackerman. Welcome back to Talk of Facts, frequently asked questions and answers for the autism journey. Now, this one is specifically for teens and adults with autism. I get this question all the time, what's new and exciting in the medical world uh, today for teens and adults with autism? So let's talk about them. TMS, Transmagnetic Stimulation Therapy, is something that is really exciting. Um, I met with the author, John Robeson, look me in the eye, he's a, a gentleman with Asperger's and something I hope all of our kids to strive and grow up and be just like him, he's amazing. He talked about TMS therapy and how he became more social, aware, his smile was more natural, 
and I definitely can better understand things around him in those social settings. Another really great treatment um, that we're seeing just a ton of research on in the last three years is cerebral folate autoimmunity. You know in the 90s they started putting folate in all of our different foods and products. Well some people they have found out and specifically a high percentage of children with autism don't process folate like what how they should. Go figure. They don't do it the way the books say it's going to happen. So cerebral folate autoimmunity is just a really exciting new therapeutic to work with your physician on and to look to see if your child is a candidate for that therapy. And another common thing that we're seeing in teens and adults, and we've talked about it before in Talk of Facts, is seizures. Very serious issue that needs to be looked at. Um, abnormal brain waves or brain patterns or epileptic activity in the brain definitely needs to be addressed in children with autism. Again, I'm not a doctor, but I know doctors that can go through and work and look at the, the child and perform a 24-hour EG. What they're finding with some of these anticonvulsant or seizure medications is kids start to make great gains in speech, cognition, sleep, learning, by treating any type of seizure activity. So, and the other issue is pandas, not the cute fuzzy bears that we see in the zoo, uh, but an issue that is happening with a lot of teens and adults on the spectrum, where you see a dramatic change in behaviors um, with these individuals, and often they have an inappropriate immune response. Taka has a great white paper, so you can go look up in the pandas definition, what to test and treat for and talk to your doctor about, but know that if you see an extreme swing in behavior with a child um, that goes from one place to a very negative place, we're seeing a lot of uh, teens positively responding to treatments for pandas. Uh, and the last treatment I wanted to talk about, um, and I'm super excited about, and this happens to not just work with younger kids on the autism spectrum, but also older children on the spectrum, teens and adults, it's called mendability. Um, and a great study just came out of UCI in May 2013 about a multi-sensory approach uh, for individuals with autism. The whole premise behind the therapy uh, is very simple, making it a sensory rich environment so neural connections can make new pathways or at least connect in that individual. So kids with sensory issues, uh, auditory listening issues, uh, speech issues, they seem to really just respond to mendability, and uh, I was so excited to see that new research. More research is being done on it, and the beautiful, beautiful part about mendability is it's something parents can do on their own, administer with their child, and be uh, connected to their kid as partners in the autism journey. Don't forget in any therapy or medical intervention to work with your physician and to do proper testing to know what your child needs and what treatments to pursue under a physician's care. So there's so many new things I could go on for hours about new treatments and excitement, but there's the top ones that just have me so geeked here. But that's another talk of fact. Thanks for joining me and we'll see you next time and on Real Journey, Real Questions and Answers to help your autism journey. What is autism? 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 Uh, <laughs> I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think.
about that one. <laughs> um, trying to uh, just. Um... Jeez. Let me think. <laughs> oh man, that's a great one. Yes. Uh, autism. Uh, uh... Autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability, and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another. It's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given so much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. Fun. Joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. So thrilled to be back, and we have joining us on Skype uh, the founding executive director of the Jewish Los Angeles Special Needs Trust, Michelle Wolf. Welcome to Autism Live. <laughs> thrilled Great to, see to be you. here. I'm, Thanks so much for having me. We were just talking about how we're all managing to stay dry and not so much here in Los Angeles. But Michelle, uh, this is a mouthful. The Jewish Los Angeles Special Needs Trust, <laughs> right? That takes a minute to say. Uh, tell right. us what that is, and you're the founding executive director. Tell us about how long you've been uh, around. So we're a brand-new organization, about two and a half years old. And uh, what we are is really something called a pooled special needs trust. And these are nonprofits um, that specialize in helping people with disabilities of all sorts, including, of course, autism, obtain... Uh, have an ability to have supplemental money uh, above and beyond their government benefits. So this is a legal way to keep all your SSI, your Medicaid, um, in-home supportive services, food stamps, Section 8, to keep all those benefits and have additional supplementary funds. So it's a, a great service, and we actually provide professional trust me services and a fraction of the cost of commercial banks or trusts. Okay, so how did this come about? How was this inspired? Uh, it was inspired uh, by a group of professionals and parents when I was doing a consulting job at Bethsedic Legal Services. Bethsedic means uh, House of Justice in Hebrew, and it's a legal aid type of a group. And I was uh, tasked with bringing together the aging community and the intellectual and developmental disabilities community, bringing them together uh, in a pilot project because we have older people that are aging and getting disabilities, and then we have many younger adults uh, with autism, cerebral palsy, epilepsy, Down syndrome, and they're living longer and longer lives, and so they're actually um, getting eligible for aging programs. So uh, it was a really cool project that brought together these two worlds, and we looked at a variety of issues and subjects. And one of the main topics
happens is that we have all these aging caregivers out there, mostly moms, and they're 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they are still taking care of their loved ones with autism, cerebral palsy, uh, Down syndrome, uh, mental health issues um, at home, typically by themselves without much uh, assistance. And how can we make sure that that adult child is going to receive support and care after that mother passes? Yeah, this is everybody's biggest fear, right? Yes. What happens when I'm not there? <coughs> Excuse me. So um, talk to us a little bit about who your ideal client is. Because if somebody has, let's say, a five-year-old, is it time for them to come in and do this, or is there a, a time that's perfect? So for a five-year-old, uh, I would say you don't need to set up a special needs trust quite yet. But I would certainly encourage those families to look into the new CalABLE account that just became available two weeks ago in California. And it's a tax-free way of setting aside up to uh, $15,000 a year. And you can go all the way to 100000 without um, impacting your SSI. Because just to make it, because a lot of people don't even understand that, and I know sometimes my adult brain doesn't get it. If you go, I see this every day that I talk to parents of, of individuals who have some form of special need, it could be autism or other things, and that at some point they filed for and got Social Security benefits because their child is disabled, and that is money that helps support that child uh, right now and people right. are terrified of losing that if their child gets a job or if they if it's shown that they have other source of income often that money is suspended and it's gone yeah. um, so people get in this little box where they feel like I can't do this I can't go here I can't right. I can't do this thing even though it's good for my child because if they get more money I will lose that and then what right. happens when I'm gone they don't have that right. SSI so you're saying you can put money aside for them, and later on, when you're not there and they inherit this money, they won't get their SSI taken away? Well, you don't want them to inherit it directly. That's the big no-no. Okay. So if you set up, uh, first of all, most Medi-Cal and SSI, Medicaid nationally, you're limited to only $2,000 in terms of assets, meaning money in your bank account. Right. So in order to have more than $2,000 in assets, you now have two choices. You can set up the CalABLE account that I mentioned, and other states have their own ABLE program, or you can set up a special needs trust. And as the child gets older, experts actually recommend that you have both. Okay. So the CalABLE for in and out uh, like a checking account, and your special needs trust for your long-term planning. Because the special needs trust has a fiduciary oversight. Our nonprofit acts as a fiduciary. I and we actually have a licensed fiduciary on our staff who is our delegated trustee. The funds in the CalABLE account, um, if the beneficiary is not conserved or under guardianship, that person over the age of 18 could just take the funds and do whatever they wish with. So um, in terms of employment, um, the, the myth that you can't work and keep your SSI, that is gone. So if uh, people want to work, and I think it's great, any type of work, um, they can put their earnings into these new ABLE accounts, and it will not impact their SSI up to $100,000.
This is so exciting, Michelle. It, it's huge. It's huge. We're doing a big event here in Los Angeles. I'm going to put in a little plug. February 4th, 7 p.m. at uh, 6505 Wilshire. And uh, please sign up on Eventbrite. Um, Let's know, not do a little plug. Let's do a big plug. Say it again. What the, what's the date? It's February 4th. Okay. 7 p.m. at uh, 6505 You're going to be talking about the ABLE accounts then? Yes, and we're bringing in an expert from Sacramento from the California Treasurer's Office. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. What day of the week is that? It's a Monday night. Okay. I might have to and come to that, Michelle. Please come. <laughs> uh, if you want uh, to RSVP, it's info, I-N-F-O, at jlatrust.org. But it's on Eventbrite. So, so the way it works is you create these CalAble accounts, and at some point you'll want to transfer some of that those funds into a special needs trust. With a special needs trust, and I hope many families will want to use our pool trust, but there's other pool trusts in the state, uh, but not Los Angeles. And um, you can also do a standalone special needs trust. Well, what is, a, what is a pool trust? A trustee. What is a pool trust? So a pool trust is really an affordable way for more middle-class families to have professional trustee services at a fraction of the cost. I see. And what it is is everybody has a separate sub-account. We only pool the money for investment purposes. So we have uh, three portfolios with Charles Schwab, and everybody picks a, a portfolio. And so basically what happens, it's like Betty's 20000 and David's 50000 and Susan's 100000 That's put together just to uh, in the portfolio. So we can hopefully get you know higher rates of dividends Wonderful. Okay, now I get it. This is wonderful. Okay, um, so let's talk a little bit about what this has been able to do for the community. Let's talk about some of the success stories, because previous to this, if you wanted to start, you know, we've had people on the show before talking about an individual trust, but most of the time parents say to me, I don't have that kind of money. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So Yes. So one was a gentleman in his 60s who had um, high-functioning autism and some mental health issues. He was living, believe it or not, in 88 square feet. He had literally one room in Santa Monica with the bathroom down the hall. And Santa Monica, as everyone knows, is a very hot real estate market. So the owner of this property was going to tear down this building and put up a high-end condo. So as part of state law, uh, this gentleman got a uh, lump sum move out, you know, something to encourage him to move out and also to be in accordance with the law. So he got $40,000, and he put it right into his special needs trust. And um, he was also able to get a new Section 8 apartment, uh, a one-bedroom. And for the first time in his life, he has his own kitchen. And our staff helped him 
target and buy to set up his kitchen, what kind of furniture he would need. And uh, he is doing so well. He's taking adult computer classes uh, at the senior center. He's actually on a Santa Monica homeless commission, and he uh, recently used some of his trust funds to buy himself a sports coat because he went to a, a reception at the mayor's home. Wow. So uh, he is doing great. And uh, we have another client uh, who is legally blind who lives in the Santa Barbara area who basically has been homeless and living um, in hotels uh, because she could not find affordable housing in Santa Monica. And with our assistance and the help of Jewish Family Service, we were able to get her into a Section 8 apartment. And she is now living in a beautiful one-bedroom and only paying $263 a month. Wow. So, um, but our trust acts as the care coordinator. We don't do case management, but what we can do is use the beneficiary's funds to pay for private case management, and then we become the central hub. And um, what I like to tell mothers is no one can replace you. Um, after you're no longer able to take care of your adult child, not, there's not one person who's going to replace you. It's going to take a whole team. Yeah. So we provide the trustee services. We work with regional center service coordinators. We'll work with group home directors. Um, and quite often, we'll end up hiring a private case manager. And together, this team develops the care plan and a strategy. And then our role is providing the funding out of the person's individual trust fund, whether it's paying rent, paying for a cell phone, paying for computer classes, uh, whatever it takes uh, for a higher quality of life. And that's what our mission statement is all about. We're about helping children and adults with disabilities achieve a higher uh, quality of life by being able to supplement their governmental benefits. Because uh, if you try to live just under government benefits, you're going to be living a terrible life of poverty. Government benefits barely take you up to the federal poverty level. And in Southern California, um, it really is a subsistence existence. Okay. Uh, Michelle, I have a bunch of questions, and most of okay. them are going to be ignorant. Okay? So I'm going to okay. apologize in advance. So okay. we start an account, and you know, if we want to be an active account, we start with a minimum of twenty thousand dollars, which right. is goes into the pool, and you guys invest it. At what? How does it work? At what point does the person then access it? Is it when the person it, that was their um, their main caregiver is no longer capable of doing that at any age? So at that, uh, it's totally individualized up to the family. Okay. Uh, but what we say to people is, when you re when the account reaches twenty thousand, that's when we can begin to disperse funds, okay. and that's when we can also assist with the care coordination. Up till then, the money is just accumulating. Okay. Uh, we recommend that families do not wait until God forbid, mom's in a nursing home with dementia or you know passed away. Right. We recommend that families see how it works and start using the funds. Well, I would say, you know, the mother or parent or adult sibling, you know, feels like they want someone else to help them out. And, and let me just say a, a word about adult siblings. A lot of parents have kind of counted on the adult sibling.
over after uh, a parent passes or becomes disabled themselves. And a lot of adult siblings, I mean, they really love their siblings, but they don't want to take on the full responsibility. So um, we have a role for the siblings. We call it the beneficiary advocate. So they stay in touch with us. They have a liaison function. We can include them in all the emails and all the correspondence. But they don't have the legal obligations that come with being a trustee, the taxes, um, understanding the government benefits. And, and the toughest role with the trustee, a trustee has to exercise discretion about the funds. So um, occasionally a trustee has to say no if it's a bad financial request. Yeah. So, for example, if someone has $100,000 in their special needs trust and they want to purchase a car, and they say, I want to take 80000 and, you know, buy, you know, a high-end a, a high sports car. We're probably going to say, no, you can buy a car, but it's going to be more like a Camry or a Honda. Right. Right? Because as trustee, we have a fiduciary obligation to keep the funds going uh, throughout the lifetime of the beneficiary. Yeah, I, you know, uh, and, and it sounds like you're doing the coordination, too, of making sure that that can happen because they're not going to live just on the trust, but they're not going to live just on their, their government-funded um, support. Amazing. Um, like, all of this is very eye-opening to me. If parents are watching and they've got other questions than I have, where do they get information, Michelle? Okay. We're having some trouble with our lower thirds there for a second. So I'm going to have you repeat all that because for a second it said that you were Nate Lewis and you are clearly not Nate Lewis. It's like, Nate, who's Nate? Uh, Nate's great, but he's not you. So uh, let's have you say again how they can get in touch with you. Okay, so I'm sure people are already writing in and saying, and it makes sense that they would ask this, do we need to be Jewish to participate? A great question. <laughs> so, no, you don't have to be Jewish to enjoy uh, JLA Trust. Uh, but just like Hebrew Nationals, we, we answer to a higher authority. Yeah. Um, so what it is, is my roots are in the Jewish community. Um, I write a column about Jews and special needs in the Jewish Journal. And our, uh, a lot of our funding comes from the Jewish community. But we are absolutely open to all faiths, backgrounds, genders, gender identities. Uh, like I said, we're, we're very open. Uh, I myself am the parent of a uh, 24-year-old with cerebral palsy and uh, other special needs uh, who wants to be a DJ, by the way. And uh, we, we just opened up his uh, Chow Able account with $50. I love this. 
so and I, it is a great question, and I I always because we've had people on the show before from Betzedek, um, and I talk very lovingly on the show about when there was a point in our um, journey where we needed to be paying for a service that was happening at the school and then the school would reimburse us once we would present receipts, only the school would take 60 days to do it. And we were having to pay the provider every month and, and we got behind, you know? I mean, it was yeah, like, yeah. It, it was like we had, I can't even believe that we had this at the time, but we had $5,000 that in a savings account that we could, you know, keep putting back in. But there was a certain point when the bill was up to $15,000, right? And so, and we were just strangled by it. And I sat and cried and said, I don't know what we will oh. do. And the Jewish Free Loan Association lent us the money so that we could do it and get to the end of the school year and get all the money back. And, uh, you know, and everybody says to me, oh, well, you know, it, are you Jewish? And I happen to not be, but especially in Los Angeles, but I've seen this across the world, the Jewish community gets it right in dealing with special needs. They're, they're, everybody else could take notes on it and the world would be a better place. Oh. Why is that? Why is the Jewish community so far ahead on this? Oh, that's so sweet. Um, really, <laughs> uh, I don't want to get too emotional here, but uh, you know, it, it's really part of our tradition. Um, you know, our Torah, the first five books of the Bible, very much tell us over and over again, you have to take care of the poor and the vulnerable in, in the community. Uh, you have to take care of the widows who typically ended up being poor. You have to take care of the stranger in your midst. And um, that phrase is repeated over and over again. And it's a, it's a huge part of our tradition and um, our culture. So uh, I'm very proud of that. And I'm proud that we're open, uh, like I said, to everybody. Well, I think it's remarkable. Um, for people who are not in the Los Angeles area, do you have to be in the Los Angeles area to participate? Uh, no, we actually prefer people to be in like a two-hour radius um, of our office because we want to be able to see them in person. Mm -hmm. We can enroll people anywhere in the state of California, uh, but people should know, viewers should know, there are other full special needs trusts in the state of California. And there's a nice directory on a website called Special Needs Alliance, uh, which I believe is a dot, I think it's a dot org, Special Needs Alliance. And would that cover and also uh, special, pooled special needs trust in other states? Yes. So there's at least one pooled special needs trust in every state. Uh, now, there's a few very large national ones. And, um, you know, they're going to do a good job in terms of the financial services piece. They're not necessarily going to do the kind of care coordination uh, that I'm talking about, but there are um, there are many sister uh, nonprofits around the country. Most of them have the word plan in them, P L A N. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. When I first started, and uh, I was very nervous about becoming the executive director, and I went to a national conference, and um, I looked around the room. And everybody else was pretty much in my age range. And then um, we got into a discussion, and it was mostly, I'd say, 90% women. And um, over half of the women had uh, a child with special needs. And then we got into a discussion.
Isn't that amazing? It's, it's so, like, like interests go together. I was saying yesterday on the show that, you know, when special needs moms get together, um, we all have something in common, but then we, we find our niche. <laughs> we find our niche of the thing that we want to do, and then we find the people that we are most like-minded with, and it's, that's, that's a feeling of coming home. So you found, you found your tribe. Exactly. I'm, I'm happy for you. What a wonderful thing. And I would assume that you have a special needs trust for your son. Uh, well, I am, uh, I have to confess, I'm like the cobbler's son who has no shoes. Uh, I haven't done the actual paperwork. But you but did the, the uh, ABLE account, so you're getting I know, it. I did the ABLE account, but I, I actually want to open up the special needs trust, the inactive uh, special needs trust. Well, so it's on my list of things to do for 2019. Well, I think both of those things need to be on my list. Now, are there requirements to qualify for being part of a special needs trust? Because how do you determine if the person is special needs enough? Right. So we don't make that determination. It's all based on the federal definition of disability. So um, people coming into our special needs trust either need to be currently receiving SSI or Medi-Cal. Okay. Okay. So, so we totally use the federal definition, and um, so it's kind of out of our hands in, um, in terms of, you know, the determination of severity of uh, the impact. Okay. And same thing with the ABLE account? Yeah, exactly. With ABLE account, you either already have to be receiving SSI or Medicaid, or you need um, a rather extensive doctor's note indicating that you would be eligible. And just so viewers understand the SSI definition for um, what, who is disabled, it has to do with if you can engage in what they call um, sustained gainful activity. In other words, are you able to make a living um, and so you won't need the government benefits? And that's where the doctor's note becomes very important. So a doctor has to say something like, you know, due to the severity of this person's autism or intellectual disability, they won't be able to work more than four hours at a time, or they're not able to take uh, direction, or they have too much anxiety to leave the house every day, you know, to work yeah. and a job. Well, and i got to be honest that my, my son's not going to, uh, he's not going to qualify. But this yeah. brings me to a question, and you may not know the answer, but I throw this out to you. So let's say that a parent, and the ABLE thing is very new, a parent whose child is on the autism spectrum and, you know, very affected by it, qualifies for services, right. they're getting regional center, they're five years old, they're getting a full ABA program, but by the time they're 12, 13, so they've started the ABLE account, but by the time they're 13, 14, it's clear that the child is no longer going to need support services. What happens then? Well, oh, the good thing about the, the CalABLE account is so that you can use it for education. Okay. So you would just kind of end up using it like a 529 college savings account. Love it. Fabulous. The, yeah, the big question is, though, even at age five, would a doctor say in writing, this person looks like you know he or she is going to be able to work at some point or not work? Yeah. 
Okay, well, this is all fascinating. Again, it's the uh, the Jewish Los Angeles. The JLA Trust. Yes, JLA Trust. And um, Traven, can we put the website? You had the website up a minute ago. Can we put the website back up? And you guys can uh, check out the web website. There it is, jlatrust.org. Yay! Yay! And uh, you can check that out and see if it's something that interests you. Now, what was the place that you said they could go again if they're not in the state of California, that they can see all of the... Um... It's, uh, just uh, just Google, Google the word Special Needs Alliance. Okay. And then Pool Trust, P-O-O-L-E. Fascinating. Absolutely. Well, I feel so educated today, Michelle. This has been <laughs> fabulous. And the date uh, is the February 4th for your event again? Yes, February. Okay, and go and to event, event right. <laughs> okay. So we've got lots of space. Go to Eventbrite and sign up for that if you're in the Los Angeles area. I think I'm going to try to get to that. I got to look at my calendar. But Michelle, this has been such a treat. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I, I really, really appreciate the time and the kind words. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Bye bye. Uh, so that was Michelle Wolf. Wasn't that interesting, you guys? I mean, I feel so um, encouraged that there's all these different things. I honestly, I've heard parents for so long saying, you know, I sent my child to school. They learned a vocation. I'd really like for them to be working. I'm just so afraid that they'll lose their SSI benefits. Um, and then, you know, I'm here right now, and if they're getting a paycheck right now, that would be okay. But what happens when three months from now the employer says I don't think this is working out we're closing the store and you know I am not gonna live forever what if that happens after I'm gone and they have a six-month period where they can't go back and get work uh, you know I can't you know I, I, I honestly know that we all feel this way I can't even go there because the idea of my child being homeless is uh, no uh, so my child's not going to work. This is what parents say to me. So uh, I love that now you can ha you can make money and put it into that account and have up to $100,000 in it. Whoopee, that's fabulous. Uh, really remarkable. We're going to have to do more shows on that. All right, I was going to take a break, and, and I was going to go to break, but we've only got eight minutes left according to my clock, so I'm not going to go to a break. Um, but, you know, I said that if we had time that I would go to a mindfulness moment. And so I'm going to do that now. It's so important that um, we all reduce our stress. Let's just start there. It, it's been documented that parents of individuals with special needs have the same amount of stress as people who are in active duty combat situations. And to have that day in, day out for years upon end is devastating to your body and your health. And remember I said we're going to start with health and being able to find the joy. Well, the mindfulness thing does both of those things. It gives us an opportunity. It's like an insurance policy against stress. We don't want to wait until we are stressed to do the mindfulness. We want to have a regular practice of mindfulness. Um, I mentioned that I'm going to this conference, to, uh, that I'm flying up there tonight, and first thing in the morning, they are doing, um, there is a workshop on mindfulness uh, for people in the ABA field, and I'm, I'm going to be there checking that out. 
Um, but I, I really want to say to everyone watching, I know so you just go, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have, you know, the money to go hire somebody to do this for me. And I want to tell you, first of all, mindfulness things are free and you can find all kinds of mindfulness things or apps. There are, um, guided meditations that are on iTunes and there are some that you can pay for, but there are more of them that are free. We have a guided meditation that is available to you. Um, and I believe it's still on iTunes. You're just going to have to search for it and I'll see if I can't bump it up further, but it's an 11 minute guided meditation that I do with you. That is just for special needs parents, 11 minutes. And that's a lot. 11 minutes is a lot. You don't have to do 11 minutes. If we all, all of us that are watching and listening agreed right now that today and every day this next week, I'm going to take at least a minute out of my day. Uh, I tend to like to do this right as I get in the car after I've buckled the seatbelt and I would be lying if I told you that I'm, you know, getting it done every single day, but I want to. But anytime that I do buckle the seatbelt and take a moment and take three deep inhales and three breaths slow, it is life changing. It is absolutely life changing. It takes less than a minute and it's totally free. It will make it so that your day goes better. You will sleep better. You will feel better. You will find that your interactions are better. You will find that you have better focus. And because I do it right before driving, I have found that it helps me to be a better driver when I remember to do it. So let's start there. And if you have a, uh, a child of yours, they could be somebody who is child age or adult age, but I'm saying they're your child, um, I would encourage you to include them in that practice. Now, um, we really want to exaggerate it for little kids. So, you know, keep talking to your kids, even if they don't have expressive language, a lot of them have receptive language, so, and model the behavior for them. So we put on our seatbelts and we sit in the car and we say one, right? And do a do the gesture with it. And normally I will tell you not to make a noise when you inhale, but when you're teaching it to a little one, you might need to so that they understand what it is. It is better if there is no noise because it means that there's a clear path and you need to practice to see if you can do it with no noise. But when you're teaching it, do the expanding and making the noise, right? Um, just three of them. Uh, I love the people who get the um, breathing buddies. That's what they call them, a stuffed animal or one of those Thai beanie babies. And you lay down on the floor and put, it, uh, put one on your stomach, put one on the child's stomach. And then we try to make the beanie baby go up and the beanie baby go down, right? That also helps them to experience it. If you just get your child to do three deep breaths every day, you will see that it will help them in everything that they do. It's a simple thing, but it's a really important thing. All right, we've got less than three minutes left. So I want to take just a minute to say, Cal, uh, the, the, I'm, I'm going up to today. It is the ABAI conference. If you don't know about ABAI, um, and especially the ABAI Autism Conference, I want to encourage you to Google that and check it out. I'm going to be up there going to all these different presentations, meeting professionals from around the world who are BCBAs, Board Certified Behavior Analysts, and people who are about to become BCBAs. 
or they might be BCABs, right? Uh, the people who help BCBAs. So I know it's a lot of letters. I don't know how I'm going to keep it all straight. But I'm excited to be going. I'm going to be speaking on Sunday morning. If I have the opportunity to do a live feed at any point with somebody that I think will be exciting for you guys to talk to, I will certainly try to do that. Don't hold me to it because I don't know how busy my agenda is. Um, but I, I'm going to be up there all weekend representing parents. And that's a lot of you that are watching. If there's something in particular that you want me to ask, look, go on the website and see the different uh, workshops. If there's one that you want me to go to and then report back to you on, let me know. Um, let me know what I can do on your behalf while I'm there. As I said, I am speaking to BCBAs. My topic is parent perspective, how to get parents to buy in. I don't, you know, other than my kid, I don't think there's a subject I'm more passionate about than how do we get parents to get to good quality ABA and buy in and become a part of the team. With the advent of insurance, and believe me, I'm excited that we have insurance. It's made it so much easier for people and more people to access services, and that's important. But on the bad side, what I'm seeing is that there are some people who don't know what's available to them, so they're not participating in it. That's horrible. I'm here talking about it every day to let people know. Um, but also we have people who the, the doctor says and the insurance says, you get this ABA, here it is. And they don't give them any kind of training and support on why and how to be a part of this. So the parents drop their kids off at the center. And I know at one point I said to somebody, I'll be in the other room, fix my child, let me know when you're done. I think that that's a natural and normal way to feel. But the truth is, the research shows that when we get good quality ABA for our kids and we give enough of it, the right prescription, which for our little ones is going to be 40 hours, right? Uh, when they get older, it, it, that amount goes down. But for the little ones, 40 hours, right? The research shows that's the single most important thing. Having a BCBA with experience on your team somewhere, it might not be the BCBA who's your direct supervisor, but somewhere somebody's got to have experienced eyes because this is a design thing that they design it just for your child, and that takes experience. And how do we get them to experience? We have people above them mentoring them, right? And then the third thing, guess what it is? The third thing that predicts outcome is parent involvement. That's why we need the buy-in piece. We, we as parents can't just drop off our kids and say fix them. We see very quickly that the therapists know how to do things and make things happen with our kids and we have to make a pledge with ourselves to learn what they know. It's hard, it's humbling, believe me, been there, done that. It still breaks my heart when there are things that somebody else can do with my kiddo that I can't do, you know? Um, but learn as much as you can, take it as seriously as you can. I'm gonna hopefully connect them to how they can help us uh, to be able to do that. But on your own, I'm telling you, it's worth it. This, in some cases, this is life and death. When I think of when my son used to run down the sidewalk and go head towards the cars because he didn't know better um, and that I didn't know if we would ever get to a point in our lives where I would not worry about that, and I don't. Uh, I don't. So um, it can be life and death, um, but it's certainly worthwhile for a life and living a full life. So 
We're talking about the buy-in. Uh, and I'll be back here next Wednesday. Uh, we have Dr. Grant Boucher live in the studio answering your questions, and I'll be talking about all the things that I got to see and learn at ABAI. So uh, until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.